Guys, can we be honest here about bras? There is nothing better than wearing underwear that actually fits and is comfortable. Enter Beige London, the laundry and swimwear brand that is responding to women of all sizes with well-fitting underwear up to a size H. Yes, that's right. Nice bras for big boobs. Whilst we're all at home, they've been able to offer a free 20-minute online bra fitting so you're clear on what size to buy. Head over to their website and enter honestly at checkout for 15% off your order. Thanks to Beja London, that's B-E-I-J-A London, for supporting me and today's episode of Honestly. Hi, I'm Clemmie Telford and it's time to get open and get honest. Each week, I interview a guest about a topic that we, as a society, often shy away from. From sex lives to salaries, life and death, religion and real bodies, no subject is off the table. Welcome to Honestly, the podcast. My first guest of this brand new series of Honestly is the gorgeous Camilla Thurlow. We will get into the ins and outs of her career, one that has not only seen her work in bomb disposal, but also later appear on the ITV reality show Love Island. We delve into the subject of courage. Interestingly, Camilla couldn't see herself as courageous, but for me, her ability to repeatedly push herself out of her comfort zone proves that she has it in spades. Much of the conversation has stayed with me, and I hope it does you too. So without further ado, here's Camilla Thurlow. I'd like to start with a little quick fire round to get us in the zone. Oh gosh, okay. (laughs) It probably sounds more ominous than it is, I hope. (laughs) On a scale of one to ten, how confident are you? Uh, Four, probably. Wow. Is that a fluctuating four, consistent four? Very fluctuating. I mean, I'm not a very confident person in myself, but sometimes if I'm doing something that I know I'm good at, I can feel quite confident about a particular task. I just can't translate that into kind of like a wider confidence in my own self. I've been trying to wrangle the difference between self-confidence and self-esteem. So I think I'm quite good at stepping into the shoes of confidence if it's in a work capacity but that doesn't mean the dialogue that you have in your head adds up to the experience yeah it's much easier to project confidence than to build self-esteem I think it's like Mm. confidence is something that you know you can do that kind of fake it till you make it style thing with confidence but actually building the internal foundations is is a lot harder so if I'm honest I would say I'm not very confident (laughs) it's it's so interesting and it's a journey you're about to go on but kids are born with an incredible self-confidence my youngest who's two and a half she walked into the room the other day and was like mummy dance with me and like dragged me up and made me dance with her and I was like wow like how amazing is it particularly to see a girl just ask for what she wants yeah then one way and another it gets beaten out of you and then hopefully you spend the rest of your time trying to put it back to where it was yeah that's that is really interesting like that moment of where those things start to get broken down because when I was young I really liked performing like very young sort of before I was 10 years old and I used to write like plays for all my family to perform with me and I made everyone do what I wanted them to do and I directed it and I was in it and I was the star of the show and then I just lost that completely and I Mm. gave up everything that was to do with performance I couldn't handle being center of attention 
anymore. And I was so self-conscious about everything that I did. Unless I did it well, I didn't want to do it. I was really afraid of being in that space where I I was showing off unless Mm. I knew I was going to be the absolute best at it. And it is funny to think back on it. I don't know where that came from, that sudden self-consciousness. Yeah, because the language of show-off is such a powerful thing. And, And without sounding like a feminist, I'm sure that's directed at women so much. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that I think that is a criticism that's levelled at girls as in under 16 Mm. far more than it necessarily is at boys. That idea from a young age that if you're doing something for attention, you're showing off. I don't think it's viewed in the same way. I, I even think that thing of sometimes putting up your hand or being noisy in class as a young girl is perceived very very differently to how it's perceived for a young boy mm. anyhow this is that was my one quick fire question I'm going to go back on track <laughs> on a scale of one to ten how patient are you four again I'm very impatient I would say do you think the experience of 2020 has taught you a bit about patience what a good question I don't know because 2020 I felt it condensed things down in a way into the more immediate for us so Mm. I had a very day-to-day focus obviously I was working on the book as well which requires some level of patience but actually that felt like it moved quite quickly but in terms of life I felt I had just more of a focus on the everyday, which is where I really am impatient. Like, <laughs> like things to be done and to be done right away. <laughs> I suppose it did in a way because you had to wait to see people and there's still some people I haven't seen. So maybe it did encourage more patience in me, but I am like notoriously impatient. I I guess I just don't like the idea that something might not be realised. So if I have mm. an idea, I like to make sure that I can accomplish it. I want that to happen quite quickly. And I get stressed out by not knowing things. I worry more in kind of like the absence of information. So that can mean that it comes across as impatient. I want to have the answers straight away mm. so that I can deal with things. I mean, we'll get on to talk about mental health, but I mean, these are all quite classic traits of being anxious as well. <laughs> During this experience, I've started meditating. I've always wanted to be someone who says that, and I now can say I've started I'm doing so it. I'm impressed. I tried a few apps and I kept falling asleep. I think that's probably okay, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's probably better than not doing it at all, which is what I was doing before. But I, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to have a bit more discipline. That is one thing that I. I'm very like two ends on it I can be really disciplined with a task and want to get work done and then I'm exact like this kind of person who spent most of lockdown watching other people do exercise videos and sort of like sitting watching being like oh I should probably get up and (laughs) do it but not really doing it so so I'm I'm, I'm wondering what star sign are you I'm cancer I thought you were going to show some Aryan traits in there because my husband is an Aries and it's like quite hot-headed but not always good at completing stuff. But you're not an Aries, you're a Cancer. I don't know enough about Cancers other than that you're like quite homebody-ish. I'm very sensitive, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Pisces. So I'm extremely sensitive as well. Yeah, on the meditation app, they're always like, so you've got to learn to feel your feelings. I'm like, well, yeah, I'm I'm feeling the feelings. That is not an issue for me. Yeah, that's the same with me. In fact, that's one of the things. 
because I'm afraid of feeling feelings, I think that's why I found the idea of trying to do meditation really difficult. And I tried yoga last year when I was having quite a, like a down period of time. And I, I got to this point where I was afraid to go to the class because it was an hour of being inside my own head, feeling mm. every feeling. And I, I kind of stopped. I ran away from it a bit. And actually this year and being pregnant, I have had to learn that you have to feel the feelings and you have to be able to hold like a positive and a negative emotion together mm. all the time. And I guess that is what you're learning about because that's going to be forever. But I also really noticed the people who can do that already, like some of my friends who do that with their careers or their jobs, like they love it very unconditionally, even when it's a real struggle or mm. the friends I have who are nurturers who will be there who are able to be like happy for you even when they're going through a sad time themselves and you start to realize how much of that nurturing role isn't necessarily to do with children a lot of it's to do with the role that women take on in society in general and I, mm. I it did make me realize that we need to value that so much more because it just takes so much strength it took me so long to even get to grips with this idea that I was maybe going to always feel a bit conflicted about things and upset about some things and happy about other things. Mm. That really was a real. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, that is absolutely <laughs> everything, isn't it? We're sold this, this kind of Hollywood ideal that you're happy all the time mm. or you have happy and sad and they've sewed it together. And I mean, that is the crux of parenting. So you're already halfway there. That it is the hardest thing, but the best thing you'll ever do. And yeah, and also it's really hard because this is a really random aside, but I probably am like a realist or occasionally a pessimist. And mm -hmm. we're taught that that's a really, really unattractive thing to be. Yeah. You know, that is actually a really great place to be because then you're constantly able to see that if your baseline is realistic, you, you are able to spot the joy and and see all the positives without being disappointed every time. I was like, yeah, maybe that is there is a space for that because you're always like, oh, I'm happy-go-lucky. And oh, I wish I was happy-go-lucky, mm. but I'm not, unfortunately. Mm. But it's managing your own expectations. That's exactly what I would do as well like I call myself a realist I'm probably erring on the side of pessimist or the people around me certainly are sometimes like why don't you just expect things to go according to plan and I'm a bit like well life experience has taught me that nothing goes mm. according to plan but also it does mean that when things happen in a good way that that those good aspects are unexpected and then if it comes with negative aspects I'm already prepared for them mm. they don't it's not that they don't affect me anymore, but my I've got that mentality that I've already prepared myself to deal with the worst that can happen. It's self-preservation, which I think is, is valid. And it's just then being able to pull out the bits of joy and, and to hold on to those a bit. Again, firing on with this quick fire <laughs> round, what is your favourite smell? I mean, it's got to be food related, right? I guess, I guess like a roast dinner. <laughs> that was great. I don't know. I that's... know when someone else is cooking it, not when I'm cooking. It. Are you kind of a wintry person then? If you like dark colours and roast dinners, yes, I am definitely. I I do like actually. I love that we have seasons in the UK. I think for me they're really important because I need time to pass. That's like very important for me. I need to see these markers. 
but I like autumn winter probably better I love like cinnamony smells I like burning fires actually that's another good smell fire Mm. you know like a wood fire yeah probably all of like my real positive associations are with coziness and trying to create warmth and like hibernating kind of yeah (laughs) yeah basically (laughs) last of my quick fire rounds what is your worst habit collecting empty glasses on my bedside table (laughs) (laughs) but you don't want to risk going thirsty in the night so it's always worth yeah I always take one up but I never bring it down in the morning (laughs) (laughs) when would you think right I need to take some down I I mean I could do it for until they were all up there and I had (laughs) to get one but Jamie really hates it it's like a proper pet peeve for him that I have that bad habit so I actually asked my husband the other day what what brought him joy and he said all the things that you think are annoying to me I find joyful that's like the most romantic thing anyone's ever said to me I remind him of that I don't think my um dirty glasses are bringing Jamie much (laughs) (laughs) the problem is is when you don't have a glass downstairs or in the kitchen is when that yeah do tell me about your book when it's out what it's called and what your aim of it was so the book's called not the type and it's out now and it is basically about how I ended up on a path that really wasn't the one that was expected of me and what that has taught me along the way and how much I've been lucky enough to get out of that but how the fact that along that way I felt often quite lonely often that I was just making a series of terribly bad decisions, mistakes, accidents. But actually now when I look back, I'm so relieved that that's what I did and Mm. that I've got out of it what I've got out of it. Before I ever do an episode, I always like to ask the good people of Instagram about their take on things because it's quite a good gauge of things. And I asked people if they considered themselves to be courageous and only Mm -hmm. 37% did, which I thought... It was quite a low statistic. And then I asked them if they thought it was important to be courageous and 90% said they did, so quite a disconnect. Wow. I asked them what they thought courage was and these are some of their answers. Knowing the risks but doing it anyway. Admitting you need help. I was like, well, that's powerful. Yeah, that is. Doing what's right even if it makes you scared or uncomfortable. Being courageous can be as moral as it is physical. Courage is necessary for a fulfilling life. Courage is vulnerability. Courage is trusting yourself. Courage is being vocal for those who can't. I was like, oh, wow. You know, it it really makes you stop and think about what a huge concept it is, actually. Yeah, yeah. It's not something um, I've really thought about or talked about enough. So in order to get into you and your experience of courage, when did you first realise that you were potentially courageous? <laughs> I don't think, I don't know. I don't or do you not think you are? I don't, I would have been one of your people in your pool who would definitely have clicked not courageous. To me, that's what courage is about. It is that feeling of constantly being a bit out of your depths or being uncomfortable because that shows that you've made a decision that was willing to put yourself into that difficult situation. But it's quite rare to view that as courage. I think courage has been um, slightly conflated with 
maybe confidence and bravery. Mm. And, and actually one of the responses you mentioned there, knowing the risks and doing it anyway, in some cases will be courageous, but in some cases actually it's quite brave to take a step back mm. and that requires more courage. And, and actually that thing of trusting yourself, that was another one you mentioned that I thought was really interesting because sometimes it is making the right decision for yourself even though everyone else around you questions it, but then being able to acknowledge that that doesn't mean it has to have been the perfect decision. It doesn't have to have been the right decision. You know, like you can get to a year on and people say, well, you said you wanted to be this, even though we were telling you to be that. And you need to go, yeah, but I needed to do this year of doing this to realise that I want to do something else. I think for me, maybe the way that some people view me as being courageous actually comes as a response to fearfulness so I was afraid of doing certain things but I was more afraid of not doing them and not feeling fulfilled at all Mm. and that was kind of the only way that I ended up on this slightly strange path through life was yes I could take the safe route but there were lots of times where that seemed more scary than taking the kind of unworn path because that was where I could see that I might feel happier or uh, more fulfilled and and that's what gave me the the impetus to not always listen to what everyone else was saying and to try and go my own way but uh, it's funny because if you reflect and you think it's oh that was courageous a lot of it just came from being more worried about the other outcome Mm. well I mean we can't circle around this without mentioning Brene Brown who have you watched her TED talk on the I have. The, like, about vulnerability being courage and yeah. I think that actually the more you sit with that you unpick it to be so spot on but it yeah it it's putting yourself out of your comfort zone in whatever way that may look and that can be yeah huge brave physical acts can't yeah. it jumping off the diving board but it can also especially yeah if you are having fearfulness it it's being able to like push yourself against your own self-doubt I think yeah for sure and I guess the other thing is just like what you said there it's courage is always going to mean different things to different people because we're all afraid of different things Mm. and so to try and get that concept down into one distilled ideal is that's kind of a risk in itself that's sort of what we've done over the last few decades with a lot of big concepts, a big complicated nuanced concepts, we've tried to distill to one particular thing. And then people feel like I'm really, that that response doesn't surprise me that only 37% felt courageous. But within that, I know there'll be in that 63%, so many people who are so courageous in so many aspects of their life but they don't feel allowed to recognize that as courage Mm -hmm. because they've been taught that's not what it is. And also, the mo- I'm thinking I recorded a really moving um, episode about cancer, and they and like, the, the guests I had who spoke on it were like, everyone refers to us as brave. We didn't choose to be brave. You're you're forced into a situation, and so many of your most courageous moments possibly come out of adversity or come out of yeah circumstance. For sure, I mean that is that is exactly what it is that we can reflect on times in our lives and and think how did I manage that how did I do that but you did but then equally I guess on that 
side of things, it's then hard to set out to be courageous. You know, like how do you integrate that into your life plan? If that's what you want to feel or what you want to be, it becomes more complicated to understand how to to do that. Like, what are you fighting against? Mm. Where is your courage required? Yeah, it's interesting. It's so interesting. I mean, you've had the most interesting career. It's like, yeah, reading back to it, I was like, wow, this girl's done some amazing stuff. So prior to Love Island, which we'll get on into in a minute, you worked for the Halo Trust in explosive ordnance qualifications. And what was your job role for then? So I went through a few different job roles, but I worked as a projects officer and then a field officer and then a program officer. And then I ended up being a deputy program manager and an armed violence reduction manager in Afghanistan in the end. But that was with a different charity later on. I mean, there's no two ways that even hearing those words feels courageous. What led you to that? I just got really, really lucky in a way in that I I heard about Halo, who's who I initially went to work for and did all my qualifications with when I was really young. They're a Scottish charity. Their headquarters is not all that far from where I was brought up in Scotland. And they were very well known because they were this huge humanitarian charity. They were doing such incredible work. And so I grew up kind of knowing about them. They were in my periphery. I loved the sound of what they did I just didn't think it was something that I would be capable of doing because at that point it was predominantly kind of ex-military men who were employed by them and you know I grew up went to school went to university I traveled for a little while I did a different job and I was pretty disillusioned with everything and I felt very unsatisfied with life and so I applied speculatively to Halo a little bit younger than on their website at that time they used to say you had to be about 25 and I was 23 so I thought well maybe I apply now and they say no for the next two years you do need to go and do this or you we are really looking for people who've been through the military or something like that but I just got lucky when I applied they were looking for this brand new type of role that they had in Cambodia which was a projects officer position which was more to do with collecting information that explained to donors why it was so important to fund mine clearance so it was like going around and speaking to people who had been injured or who had lost family members and then sort of some more systematic data collection that was to do with showing why when you remove mines the effects allow people to grow food to access health facilities to access schools and how that then helps these marginalized communities who have had to live with this really awful remnant of war. And so I got in that way and then I became absolutely obsessed with doing my actual EOD, Explosive Ordnance Disposal Qualification, because I could see all this horrible stuff that was happening and I was speaking regularly to people who'd either had an injury themselves or I was speaking to people who'd lost other members of their family as a result of landmine accidents or people who were unable to feed their children because their fields were full of landmines or kids that were unable to get to school because the past there was still full of landmines. I was speaking to all these people but I felt like speaking to them almost wasn't enough. I needed to do something practical to feel like I was really helping. It was just how my 
brain worked. I, you know, I knew I was equally capable. And so for a long time, I just sort of stewed on it. I was like, oh, why are they not? Why don't they see that value in me? And then I was like, well, maybe I'm going to have to tell them that I can do it. And, mm. and but then I really felt like I had a point to prove during the training. I write quite a lot about this in the book that I, you know, I I took all that in and I turned that into part motivation, but also a little bit of frustration that mm. carried me in a really positive direction, but occasionally took its toll on me emotionally. Hands up if you've struggled to find pretty bras past a double D. Okay, don't actually put your hands up, but it is common amongst us larger chested women. Well, today's sponsor, Beja London, have come to the rescue as they have a range from AA to 36H. Use the discount code HONESTLY at checkout for 15% off your first order. Thank you, Beja London. I also find it interesting that earlier you said you're not, you don't find it easy to feel the feelings, yet you opted to expose yourself to some some pretty hard stuff that most of us would never have to face. So do you see them as very separate things? I think I'm more fearful of feeling my own feelings. I'm so fearful of feeling upset about things that have affected me, but I'm much more comfortable taking on someone else's feelings or feeling outrage on behalf of someone else but that was slightly problematic as it went on because I absorbed a bit of secondary trauma by being so involved in other people's stories and lives Mm. and I didn't deal with that very well because I really rejected the idea that I should then feel anything negative myself and also I was very aware and continue to be really aware of how lucky I am like I Mm. couldn't be more fortunate and that became more and more evident to me all the time I worked with Halo and so to to sort of even have that it's that thing that then you know if I was upset about a relationship be that romantic or a friendship I felt like oh but why you know you don't have a right to be upset about such a trivial thing when there's so much people struggling with so much greater things and doing it with so much more dignity and resilience so just you know you've got to just put a lid on that emotion and I had a complicated relationship with it all which I Would haven't you? really quite <laughs> <laughs> and also, I'm trying to yeah my instinct is to try and reassure you that but that is that is the human struggle, isn't it? Sometimes the things that, that ruminate and end up being a big deal, whether it be a friendship, you fixate on those and then when the actual big life traumas come your way, you kind of work your way through them. But it but they all interlink somehow, don't they? Yeah. I you you're bang on, really. It's that thing that one day a broken phone can seem such like the end of the world. And then another day you'll be so strong in getting through something that's really life changing. Mm. And it is funny. I mean, that's what I just struggled to get into perspective was, you know, that that you can have these small everyday today problems and you can be annoyed about that and you can be upset about that. And it doesn't change who you are as a wider person. I think, Mm. you know, that's got to still be kept within perspective. But I do think it was part of the reason why maybe my friends started to feel less comfortable telling me if they had a problem was because I was always so focused on these bigger issues and on how lucky we were all were and 
I think everyone's problems are obviously valid and there's perspective for everyone. I just didn't use that perspective in a particularly constructive way for me or for my relationships with people at home. I just let it drive me um, into wanting to work harder in the EOD sector. And also uh, to flag that you were in your 20s when you were doing... Yeah, so I joined when I was 23 and thought, you know, like... (laughs) Thought I knew everything. But I realise now so much of what allowed me even to go into that world, which I really didn't look like I fitted into naturally, was naivety going back to the confidence thing at the beginning Mm. I had that kind of false confidence of youth and I think now I would be way more fearful to take on the role that I initially took on with Halo and I would think I was hopelessly underqualified and at that time yeah I had my reservations but I was also pretty much like I think once I get my boots on the ground I'll be able to do (laughs) I'll just do it I'll find a way to do it and on that note, it's a good segue into how on earth you went from that experience into finding yourself on Love Island. That's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a culmination of things, to be honest. It was partly these kind of struggles I was have with feeling quite socially dislocated. Mm-hmm. So I didn't necessarily belong the places that I was going to to work. But I also, when I would come home, I wouldn't know how to interact well with my family and friends anymore I didn't know the right questions to ask I felt just like that world had moved on without me and I couldn't just slot back in and I couldn't work out how to feel more part of it again Mm. I had friends who'd had new boyfriends and they'd been seeing them for two years and I'd never met them and I didn't know what job they did but I didn't want to ask because obviously they known them for two years and I didn't want to be like so what's his name again you know it's just these funny things where if you lose touch and I did lose touch it's hard to know what to say and so I came back and I didn't really know how to resolve that and I felt very lost and I didn't know what I was going to do in the future because I wanted to feel part of things again and there was these few months when I came back from Kabul where I was so confused about the next step and there was kind of like this horrible vacuum in my life and that was when I got the first message about Love Island and that was someone was giving me an answer that was it I I went for the first chat they were quite nice they said could you come back and have a chat on camera I probably wouldn't have done it if that had been the very first chat but because Mm. I already met them I was like oh I know they're going to be nice so that's fine I'll come back and do that came back and had the chat on camera a few weeks later got a call saying do you want to come and meet the execs went and did that it was ticking over in the background it was quite nice that someone was interested I think it would have been much more for someone who was desperate to go on the show probably they would have been waiting for each phone call but for me it was just like a surprise every time they Mm. rang you know I'd be like oh you're still still thinking about me for that fine okay did at any point as you were flying out there have that sixth sense that this was about to shift your life or were you not thinking like that no, no not really but I think maybe that was to do with a bit how I was feeling in general myself so I was really not very connected to myself at that yeah. stage like I didn't I don't even think I had all the normal senses functioning particularly well let alone a sixth sense I just yeah. wasn't I was not interacting with the world in a normal way I was very I was just shut down and 
actually in the first week of the show, and again, I talk a bit about this in the book, I did ask to leave originally. I just couldn't, I couldn't see what I, how I'd got there, what I was doing there, because, you know, the point is to be entertaining and stand out. And I was just sat in silence. And I was thinking, how much of this can they show on TV? Like, that can't be very interesting. And yeah, and it's, it's funny how it then all panned out. But I do, it, it was kind of like an immersive social experiment for but me. But also, it's funny that you went from one disconnected experience to another in yeah. a, unknowingly. I mean, of course, it, you've got the, the relationships in real life while you're there. But I mean, it, it's a great example of hugely stepping out of your comfort zone and things working out in a brilliant way. Totally. And I think that was the other thing. Every good experience in my life has Mm. come from doing something that I was afraid to do. The things that I don't remember at all, periods of my time that are a bit kind of the other ones where I just did it because it was the safe choice. Mm. Whereas the times where, and they're difficult, like there's so many ups and downs, like Love Island was oh, just ups and downs constantly. But they're the times that I remember as being the best times. Yeah of my life and that whole adage of um regret the things you've done not the things you haven't done there's something about calm and contentment that I find really disconcerting and Mm. and quite unnatural whereas in in environments where there's a lot of friction and difficulty I feel that keeps you moving it feels like that's I don't know, it just gives you the chance to to never stand still. And standing still, it's that thing. Standing still or being in silence are my two biggest fears, even just like from a physical everyday to day perspective. I cannot bear to be in a room with silence and my own thoughts. I just can't do it. I have a friend who went on one of those silent retreats and Mm. I just couldn't understand. I was like, why would you do that to yourself? And came back really kind of happy and content and and yeah it just sounded like my worst nightmare (laughs) instead you put yourself on national tv or into like war zones (laughs) it's so funny isn't it our coping strategies and actually that leads me nicely on to the fact that you've been public about your struggles with mental health and how does that manifest itself where does your head go I struggle with anxiety that's the main thing that I have had difficulties with and it's just that I have these truly irrational thought processes that are very difficult for people around me to necessarily understand why I let my mind take me on this catastrophic cycle. And it's actually it's, it sort of relates to what I was saying earlier. I have a constant feeling of fearfulness, a constant feeling of foreboding, constant presence of this kind of cloud that something bad is going to happen Mm. and especially when it really affected me socially I would be shyer and I wouldn't speak but people would perceive me as maybe being aloof or snobbish and so then they wouldn't make an effort with me either and so I would feel like that was rejection I would start to put that all together like the whole world was rejecting me and I can do it with pretty much anything if I'm having a bad week or day I'll read a news article that has nothing to do with me and to me it feels really sharply pointed right (sighs) and it's just a lens that I sometimes view the world through 
that does change the way I see things. But for me, it seems in the moment, I think, how come no one can understand what I'm saying? And I got quite good at hiding sort of various ways that it would present itself. For example, I have these OCD tendencies, which are normally to do with rituals, so like tapping light switches or walking the correct way, path to something or standing somewhere or just in general, things that make me think I can stop something bad from happening. We've sort of gone through this phase encouraging people to open up and talk about this and talk about that, which is brilliant. But at the same time, we have perhaps slightly only talked about the things that are really the nice side of it, the bits we can understand. So like, for example, when I say I'm shy because I'm anxious, that people can understand that as fearfulness. They can see where that comes from. But then when people are maybe aggressive or say, you know, these things that just don't match up to the person that they are, we don't want to discuss that in a public space. Mm. We don't acknowledge that there's these really difficult behaviours that come out of the very same difficulties and I I just worry because when I talk about anxiety sometimes I'll even present it as being a bit comical to try and get people to feel comfortable with me talking about it but then do we render our understanding simplified so it's it's complex oh it's so complex there's a couple of things I'm thinking when I'm listening to you one the, the really difficult thing with anxiety and with any mental health is not understanding in yourself the lines between your mental health disorder and yourself are. Mm. I remember when a point when I got diagnosed with generalised anxiety disorder, it's because I could begin to see that it was taking me from me, if you know mm. what I mean. Mm-hmm. It was shrinking my world and things that had once been really inherent in my personality, like travelling, like socialising, were being compromised. and then. Part of me didn't know whether that was just who I was going to become, whether the adult me was going to be a bit safe and a bit boring. But fortunately, there was a little glimmer which said to me, no, that isn't you, that's your mental health. Mm. And it's really hard, isn't it? Because it it is so integral to you. And what it does do is, is claw away or become so much inside you that you can't see the boundaries. And it's, it's a huge struggle. Yeah. I think there's nothing more persuasive than the voice in your own head, which is just an amalgamation of everyone who's ever (laughs) said anything anything exactly negative, but told back to you with your own voice. With anxiety, I spent a lot of many years just listening to what I was, my internal voice was telling me. So they don't like you. That joke was stupid. They're laughing at you. They're mocking you. They're talking about you behind your back. And then only recently have I begun to actually talk back (laughs) to that voice and question it. It is because occasionally the anxious voice is right. Yeah. Things happen, but it's 2% of the time that you take as confirmation of everything. Well, the thing is, when the bad things happen, I bet you can cope with them. That's the blooming irony of it. It's like... Like the oh yeah, actual crisis, not a problem. <laughs> it's a potential crisis that is exhausting. Yeah. And the first time I read that quote that your thoughts can lie to you, I was just like, yeah, they they can. You're right, and they've been lying to me for a long time. <laughs> That's powerful. I do have this kind of weird relationship with anxiety, where it's it feels like keep 
your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. The anxious thoughts have really spurred me on in some ways. They've made me really successful at certain Mm. aspects of my life. And also to say that it's really courageous to keep going. And that sounds much bleaker than I mean, but it, it is a struggle. But you time and time again have have not let your own demons get the better of you and that is huge but it's really important to have these conversations because as you say the normalizing of it is great but it can sometimes brush over the nuances of it I suppose yeah for sure how can we all be more courageous or how do you hope to inspire courage in your child so I guess what I want to I suppose what I hope to instill in my child is is the idea that they can take their own path and have people disagree or not understand why they're doing things. And that doesn't make it wrong. But equally, if they then realize as they learn more about the world and more about themselves, that they too can change those decisions, even if they thought they were the right things at the time, then that is the making of a far more courageous and fulfilled life. Mm. And just listen to what it's taken for you to do things within you rather than what the external world is telling you is brave. Because if you're scared to say, oh, this university course isn't right for me, I need to change, and you decide to change, that can be an exhibition of extreme courage and faith in yourself and, and a desire to be a different version of yourself which does take immense courage but that will quite often be people who will see that as a weakness and also understanding that lots of the things we've typecast as being weaker like vulnerability and compassion and empathy require immense strength to feel and to live with and so they have the makings of a courageous life and so it just is it's really critical to to have faith in that voice that tells you what is a hard thing for you to do mm. and in amongst that you said the courage to be a, a different or a new version of yourself I think that's really powerful isn't it to allow yourself to grow and change yeah I mean I was very trapped for so many years by a version of myself that was very guided by the world around me I had this end point that was guided by often the people I was most influenced at the time. So be that your parents or your teachers or, you know, your boyfriend at the time. I had this Mm. idea of where I was going to get to because that was the right thing for them. I'm going to have like a massive, massive emotional come down off this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be really great company this afternoon. I have to go on a, a really great massive walk Um, I'm sure most people do know where to find you but in case they don't where can they find you so on Instagram I think I'm at Camilla Thurlow on Twitter I think I'm at Camilla Thurlow um and that's where to find me I don't have snapchat I'm not I'm not I don't think anyone has snapchat anymore do they <laughs> it's tiktok know. are I'm you on TikTok? TikTok? no sorry I, I well maybe I have a tiktok account well I don't I think you know <laughs> I mean if if the inner you wants to embrace the bit more of the performance tiktok is definitely the place to do it yeah I have looked at tiktok and just realized I'm too old so I think I'm gonna be on tiktok the same I'm on twitter where I I love looking at everyone else's content and I don't put anything out myself I'm just lurking yeah lurking's good it's something really nice about lurking and to take this back to the name of the podcast which is honestly do you think honest conversations are becoming more or less common 
Hmm. This year, I I feel like for me, honest conversations are becoming much more common in that I have changed and that's partly been to do with the book, partly the pregnancy and partly the point in my life that I'm at. But in general, in a, in a wider sense, in the online world, in the offline world, I think honest conversations are really hard to have at the moment mm, at this time. I, I think people are so scrutinised. And, and actually that capacity to change, which we talked about as being really important, you don't really get that same allowance in the online world. You know, no. you're bound to a version of yourself from often from years ago. And, and yeah, That's really hard. I, yeah, it is really hard. There's a great Obama quote, which is, everybody wants to be heard and nobody wants to listen. And the crucial thing about a conversation, as opposed to just projecting, is that it needs to work both ways. I feel really strongly that we've just lost that ability to, and it goes back to a bit of what we're saying about going through the uncomfortable bit of A, realising that you're wrong, or B, accepting that someone has a different opinion to you. Like we don't need to all fall in line with each other, but equally we don't all need to throw stones at one another. And I think we have, yeah, it's got, it's just, yeah, it can be brutal, can't it? sometimes yeah I roll and then we've got to raise our kids in it and it's absolutely terrifying last question if you could have an honest conversation with one person it can be a troll a celeb um, a younger version of yourself an old teacher an old employer who would it be and what would you say oh you know what you know who I'm gonna say because I am just an uber fan so to get him in a conversation would be like a dream, would be Alain de Botton. Would it? Yeah. I just... Oh, He's God. unbelievable. I listen to... Sometimes if I, if I can't sleep, <laughs> I listen to old podcasts of his because he's just the most reassuring voice. Isn't he? He just takes these really complicated, difficult human emotions and kind of habits and behaviours and somehow distills them down in a way that it's pure genius because it makes you feel very clever as the listener. You, <laughs> I'm totally getting all of this really complex philosophical stuff and actually it's him yeah. making it all so digestible. This is what he does for me, actually. He makes me feel more accepting of the difficult sides of life and the difficult mm. sides of myself because he makes me realise I'm not alone in it. That's mm. what I find comforting about him. Exactly that. And and that unlocks so much of what we're talking about. Because once you've not got that dialogue on top of it, of, oh, I'm a bit strange, if you can go, oh, yeah, this is human yeah. struggle, then you're much more able to park it. Yeah. On that note, you have been absolutely extraordinary. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you, Camilla. Thank you so much. Thank you too. Thank you. That's so much thought-provoking stuff. I know. Both of us can go and really ruminate on that for about the next week. (laughs) (laughs) I've been Clemming Telford and this has been Camilla Thurlow and this has been Honestly Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your mates all about it. Thank you, Camilla. Thank you for listening to another episode of Honestly. If you found this week's episode interesting, which I hope you did, I'd love to know your thoughts. So please do give me a rating or review and even better, hit the subscribe button. That way you'll get each week's episode delivered straight to you.
Another massive thanks to the sponsors of today's episode, Beja London. If you'd like to get 15% off your first order, enter honestly over at Beja London. That's B-E-I-J-A London. Thank you, Beja.